let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I, I really think this is going to be our last week on the first paragraph. Um, it, well, it's only been, I think, about eight weeks or so counting today. So it, it, we're, we're moving at a pretty good clip <laughs> here. Uh, but uh, for this morning, I want for us to concentrate on verses 11 through 16. We've been looking at those the last several weeks. Uh, the aiming point for our thoughts together when we um, come to that time in the Word together is verse 15 where Paul writes, rather speaking the truth in love. And that's sort of where I want our minds to be headed this morning, to speak the truth in love. Um, in point of fact, in that verse 15, it's a participle speaking the truth in love, not a, a command. Um, the Greek language uh, allows that the participle be used for the imperative. What does that mean? It means that this is sort of like a command, even though it's not a command. We do that in English. You know that, don't you? You don't always have to command something to, to command it. Uh, when your boss says uh, something like, uh, um, as you're leaving, close the door. He doesn't mean if you ever get around to leaving, maybe you would like to close the door. What he means is, leave now, okay? Um, and that's sort of what's going on here. Speaking the truth in love is speak the truth in love. So it, it's, a, it's a participle, but it has an imperative um, impact to it. And if none of that means anything to you, don't worry. That's the last time I'll mention it. But that, that's, our, um, that's our aiming point. That's our focal point for this morning is speak the truth in love. So with that, uh, let's back up to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a knowledge of the one Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you've given us the gift of the one Spirit, your Holy Spirit, present in our lives. And Father, that you have given us the great privilege to call upon you as our Abba Father, the one true and living God in three persons. Father, we thank you for the unity that you send upon your people, the unity that we have enjoyed here in our own fellowship. Thankful, Father, that you have given us a commonness of, of purpose and, and cause. And, and, Father, that together, striving together, we've been uh, able to lift up the name of Jesus here in this place and in our community. We're thankful, Father, that you've made us one with believers around the world and throughout the ages, that we are part of that great work that you are doing to glorify yourself through the Son. Father, we are thankful for our one hope and that hope is Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would continue to work in our midst, continue to unite us, continue to set our eyes upon our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, 
Give us that oneness of heart so that with a oneness of voice we would ever proclaim your praises. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I hope you will have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, as we look at speaking the truth in love. Now, just as by way of introduction, speaking the truth in love can be a pretty good um, sort of approach to life in general, trying to always uh, speak truth, uh, bring truthfulness into every relationship and always have it wrapped in love. Uh, but uh, I can tell you, and as you know, speaking the truth uh, in love even can be a dangerous thing. Um, guys, you know what I mean. It's uh, when she comes out with the brand new dress and she says, how do I look? And it's not that she looks bad, it's just you don't care. <laughs> See, only half, half of you are, are laughing <laughs> right now. You know, so, so what do you say? You say something like, wow, you look good. <laughs> you know, something like that. But, you know, it's not just, not just the ladies. I mean... Um, you know, what happens when he's cooked his favorite chili? Because, I don't know why it is, guys cook one dish and they think they're great at it, but they, you know, cook chili. And they bring in a bowl and they say, here, try the chili, honey, and what are you thinking? You're thinking, this is Pepto-Bismol time. <laughs> what are you, nuts? Feeding that to, to your family? You know, so what do you say? You say something like, mmm, that's chili, all right. <laughs> But you always have to try to find a way to speak the truth in love. Uh, guys, I, I'll, I'll give you again just two phrases. That's all you need in married life to get through your marriage. These two phrases, that's all you need. Write them down, laminate them on a card, memorize them. The first phrase you need to know is, I'm sorry. All right? Just practice saying, I'm sorry. You won't know why you're sorry, but she will. And so just in any given situation, just start it with, I'm sorry. You know, just, just start out that way. And, and uh, um, now I say it when I, and sincerely I say it. I, you know, it's not just a, a thing with me. Now the other phrase you need to, to, uh, to memorize and, and make it sound natural is, that sounds like fun. You know, so that when she comes in and says, would you like to go to my family reunion? That sounds like fun. And then you complete the sentence in your mind, for you. <laughs> but, you know, if you just learn to say those things and, and, and to say them truthfully and honestly, uh, you'll get through your marriage. But uh, speaking the truth in love is, is actually, when you think about it, a, a pretty good way to hold together what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. If you speak the truth, then you are being connected up to who Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you, if you gear your whole life towards th that which is truthful and honest, then you, you are sort of connecting up with who Jesus is. And if you do so in love, then you're connecting up with what Jesus does. You know, he loves us, loved us so much he went to the cross for us. And so it, with that kind of sacrificial love, that kind of self-giving love interjected into your relationships, you'll, you'll be bringing in uh, who Christ is into your life and into the relationship. So speaking the truth in love is, is just one way to think about bringing who Jesus is and what Jesus does into your conversations and into your relationships. Uh, speaking the truth in love is, is um, 
I don't know, it's, it's a, a pretty good philosophy of child raising, for that matter. If you purpose in your heart with, with your little child, uh, always to speak truth to them, but always to do so lovingly, that means it'll be inappropriate to where they are in the stages of development. You know, that, that word love will define how you bring truth uh, to them and how you express it. Um, some of you have little human beings in your house, you know, preschoolers or whatever, and, and uh, have you ever bought them a coloring book? I know you have. Uh, you know, coloring books are used by adults now as therapy. Uh, uh, I was going to tell you about my two coloring books, but that, no, I won't do that. But anyway, but uh, you, you buy a coloring book and you give it to a little preschooler, and what do they do? They take the crayon and they open up the first page, second page, third page. And, you're, and I, maybe you're not, but I am thinking to myself, lines, there are lines there. There's a difference between a clown and an elephant. They're not both, you know. And then when they get done, they, and they've wrecked the book. So I can't use it anymore. And they wreck the book. And they bring this book to you, and they show it to you and say, Grandpa, look at my coloring book. And you're thinking to yourself, but what do you say? Wow, that's really good. You're so expressive. Well, you're so creative. You're not hidebound. You're not bound to those lines things. Well, you're so creative. You can draw anywhere you want. Well, you're a marvelous child. You know, because you love them. Because you love them, you, you share with them and you speak to them in a way that will guide them. You know, you, you, you know now when they're 21 and they bring you the game, you know, then, then you get upset. But other than that, uh, you're okay. But it, it turns out to be sort of a... Nice way to think about uh, child raising. To always speak the truth, bathed in love, shaped by love, defined by love, in a way that will express love for your child. Uh, and you, know, you notice how easy that is to do right now? <laughs> they haven't broken anything. <laughs> That's when it gets hard. But it's, it's sort of a, a, a nice general sort of idea. So when we, when we say speak the truth in love... Um, that, can, that can well be taken as just sort of a general maxim, a general sort of principle of life and a general principle of relationships and how to get along with people and that kind of thing. But uh, Paul in Ephesians, though, is going much deeper than that. When he writes about speaking the truth in love, he's not just saying, well, be an honest and loving person. He has a particular goal in mind. So I want us to back up a little bit, see the context, get a running jump into verse 15 and then um, uh, take a, a, a few moments to think about what, what that uh, might mean. So you start at verse 11. It says, He, Christ, gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are all truth-tellers in the church. The job of each one of these persons, their gift is to bring the truth of the gospel to the church. It is to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is, the truth and the reality of who we are with respect to a righteous God, to proclaim the truth of our sinfulness, the truth that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, the truth that God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the truth that it is by faith when we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we are born again into the kingdom of God's dear son, the truth that we killed Jesus, God raised him, the truth that he is exalted and ascended on high, the truth that he's coming again. We proclaim these truths, and that's what the 
the, the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and the teachers and pastors, that's what they're charged to do, is to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. So that's the first thing that, that, that we see here, is that the truth in mind is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. And we need somebody to say truth. You know, the church loses its way when we take our eyes off Jesus. We get involved in a lot of good things, you know, social crusades and, and moral values and, and uh, relationships and how to cope in life and sort of a low-level group therapy sessions and, you know, th- those kinds of things. We can do a lot of really nice things and, and good things and helpful things and things that, that people enjoy having done in their lives. But when we take our minds and, and our thoughts and our eyes off Jesus Christ, we lose our way. And once we lose our way, we just drift off. And we need someone to remind us again and again to come back to our first love. That's what Paul talks about to the Ephesian church in, uh, in the book of Revelation chapter 2. We need to capture that first love by constantly presenting and speaking to one another the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. So that, that's sort of the starting point that, that Christ gives to the church, those who are um, gifted in telling the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Christ is. And then in verse 12, and the purpose of that is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, build up the body of Christ until we attain, this is where we're headed, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's simply, I think the best way to understand that is until we arrive at the spot where we start to look a lot like Jesus. You know, that's the goal of your existence and mine. It's to look like Jesus. That's what God calls us to, to be conformed to the image of his Son. That, that's, the, that's the reason we're on this journey, so that we would glorify the Father through the Son. How? By being conformed and looking more and more like the Son. And so we tell the truth. We share the gospel. We, we um, challenge one another with who Christ is in reality and the truth of who God is and the truth of our sinfulness and the truth of the saving grace of God. We challenge each other with that so that we can get more and more like Jesus and, look, and sound more and more like Jesus every day. So we attain to the stature, the full measure of the stature of who Jesus is is that's that's sort of where we're headed in all this you see that debbie said amen so i can go on all right so that verse 14 we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about i w- i started thinking about children tossed around by the waves what are they doing throwing their kids in the ocean and sink or swim time or something i don't know i mean think about it <laughs> what you know, i just see these little children bobbing on the ocean <laughs> We're not to be that, okay. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, by the latest fad, by the latest um, uh, sort of self-help guru coming along, by the latest sort of uh, understanding of how we're going to make church relevant. The only way we're relevant is is if we proclaim Jesus Christ. The only relevancy the church has is to proclaim the salvation from sins. Now, now a lot of things follow from that, but if you don't proclaim, you know, God's grace in Christ Jesus to save us from our sins, we're just being tossed around. We're we're being led astray, and we're just following and chasing after 
other things. So that's, that's where Paul is before he gets to verse 15. He says, you know, we're, we're telling the truth in the church. The purpose is to look like Jesus. So we don't just flounder around, but we are concentrated and focused on that task of looking more and more like Jesus. And so instead of being uh, little, little children bobbleheads, you know, <laughs> bobbing up and down in the ocean, getting pushed around by the wind, rather, instead of children tossed around, rather, Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. I wish I could ask Paul, maybe I, we will when we get to heaven, and you know, maybe he'll be too busy, but I'm willing to stand in line. But, um, but uh, uh, I'd, I'd love to ask Paul, were you thinking of Peter right here? You remember Peter and Paul were at... Antioch, and they were, you know, uh, sharing together and worshiping together, and uh, you had Jewish Christians and you had Gentile Christians, and they were all having potluck dinners together. You know, it was no problem to just get together in the local gym and, and you know, and spread the table. They'd, they'd have potluck dinners, and Jew and Gentiles would sit down and swap stories and, and fellowship together, and it, it was just a great time. And then some other Christians came from Jerusalem, and they, these, these Christians from Jerusalem were more impressed with the Jewish tradition, and they, they really thought that before you become a Christian, you really need to become a Jew first. You know, uh, the, the, the Messiah Jesus came to Israel, to the Jews, and so if, if Gentiles want Messiah, they have to come by way of becoming a Jew, then they can become a Christian. And so these, these folks came into the, to the potluck dinner and they said, hey, wait a minute, we can't do this. You Jewish folks, you can't eat with those Gentiles. And so we'll have two potluck dinners and, and, and uh, you know, we Jews will have our potluck dinner and you Gentiles, you can have your potluck dinner. And so they split up and they started having different potluck dinners. And, and Peter actually went over and started having potluck dinner with his Jewish uh, kinsmen. And at that point, Paul called him out. Wouldn't you like to have seen that? You know, how exactly did that happen? <laughs> you know, but, you know, Peter, come, come here a second. I've got to talk to you. And at that point, Peter, Paul said, Peter, look, you're denying the gospel. You're missing the point here. You're interjecting works where it ought to be all grace. You're acting like somehow you've got more to offer to God than, than, than your Gentile brothers and sisters. Peter, that isn't right. Not only that, Peter, I'm a little upset because I'm going to have to write an entire book of the Bible just to straighten you out. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the book of, uh, of Galatians. So, so, but, but Paul confronted Peter, but the point wasn't that, you know, that Paul and, and Peter were going to have this argument, but Paul was confronting Peter with the truth of the gospel. I'd like to think Paul did that in love. Uh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> You know, I'm sure he did. Uh, but there, there was that confrontation. But something needed to be said in love about focusing on Christ. Now, it's not a good thing to hear, or it's not an easy thing, I'll put it. It's not an easy thing always to hear the truth spoken at you. Now, let me give you an example of that. This, this is uh, Jesus. Uh, turn with me if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and uh, this, is, this is the encounter of the uh, young man, the rich young man uh, with Jesus. We, we mention it quite often, but I, I want for us to think about it a little bit now. And I uh, won't read all of it, 
Not just to glance through it, you know. Uh, but this young man comes up to Jesus in verse 17. This is Mark 10, 17. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven? Now, this is a great question. Uh, it's the kind of question that if you're Jesus, uh, you, you're kind of like hoping people will ask. You know, how do I go to heaven? How do I get to heaven? Because that, that's the whole thing. And so the guy comes up and says, good teacher, you know, how do I get to heaven? This is a great question. And here's what Jesus says to him. This is verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Why did he say that? He doesn't even make anything out of it. He goes immediately saying, and here's what you do. You keep the commandments. But he just says, wait a minute. You're coming to me to ask how to get to heaven. You call me a good teacher. Understand, the only guy who knows how to get to heaven is God. The only one who can really bring you to heaven is God. That's what we mean by the word good here. There's no one good but God alone. And I want you to do the logic here. You know, if you've had a class in symbolic logic, put together your, your inferences and your implications and your QEDs and all those things. But I want you to do the logic. And if you call me good and God alone is good, then the logic says you think that I am divine. Now, that's not what the young man wanted to hear. He, he wasn't interested in that. He probably came to Jesus, good teacher, sort of a throwaway line, kind of, you know, well, everybody knows you're a good teacher. Okay, now, what do you think about this? And Jesus confronts him with the truth. He confronts him with the truth. And then he says, well, keep all the commandments. You know the commandments. Just keep those. And Jesus quotes a few of them. And the young man says to Jesus, I'll read it for you. He says, teacher, <laughs> see, he knows better by now. <laughs> Don't say, good teacher, I'm going to get called on the carpet again. He said to him, teacher, all these, all these commandments I have kept from my youth. And it's conceivable that according to the dictates of the day and the analysis of the people around him and all his friends, they, they would have said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. He keeps all the commandments. He's really religious and and devout and, and all those great things he keeps the commandments. So he says, I have kept all these commandments. Now this again is something good to hear. I mean, if, if you have a child who comes to you and says, I have kept all the rules today. Great. I've kept all the commandments of God. Better. I've kept them all from my youth up. I'm, I'm batting a thousand right now. Wonderful. You think this is great. Here's what Jesus says to him. Actually, look at it this way. Verse 21. And Jesus looking at him loved him Jesus looking at him loved him oh yeah okay well Jesus loves everybody he has to love everybody Jesus loves all the little children of the world and so you know big no hardly ever does the Bible say that you know where Jesus Jesus loved that person it doesn't complication but but this is this is not an ordinary thing why is it put here in the scriptures? And Jesus loved him. It's to highlight that the next thing out of the mouth of Jesus is born out of his deep love and compassion for this young man. He's not engaging in an argument. Jesus isn't trying to prove that he knows more than, 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 than the guy. He's, he's not trying to demonstrate that, that I've got the upper hand intellectually, theologically. I'm going to talk to you as one who loves you like you've never been loved before. Jesus looked at him and loved him Wouldn't you like that said of you? Jesus looked at you and loved you. Oh, I'm, I'm going to stop here for a second. 
Jesus loves you. Amen. He loves you. Loves you too. Jesus looks at you. The thing is, Jesus knows all the dumb stuff you're doing right now. Jesus knows the secrets that you're hiding right now. And Jesus knows all the, all the conflicts in your mind and, and all, the, all the, the confusion. And he knows your doubts. He knows your questions. He knows where, where you're, you're falling down on the job. Jesus knows all about that. And he looks upon you and he loves you. And he loves you. That's a bonus. Wow. Don't you love it when you're reading the Bible and something just jumps out at you? That, okay. And Jesus loves, loved him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Then follow me. Jesus, out of love, spoke the truth to this man's life. Out of love for him, he went to the heart of the issue. And I think Jesus was smart enough. He could have danced around it a lot. He could have said, well, have you thought about the level of your stewardship? Or have, have you done any financial planning that includes God in your plans? Or he, he could have said, have you done a priority checklist lately? Out of love for him, he goes right to the heart of the matter. You lack something. You need to sell all that you have and go and give it to the poor and come follow me. That's, that's what you're lacking. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I love you too much to leave you hanging. You've got to know this. You've got to go and sell it all. That was the truth being spoken in love. And it's not always easy to hear the truth. Because this, this young man, it says um, in verse 22, disheartened. What Jesus said didn't encourage him. It disheartened him. What Jesus said didn't say, oh, so that's it. That, I can do that. And, and frankly, you can. You can go sell all that you have. By the way, you can't do that and go sell all that you have. The Holy Spirit in you can go and sell all that you have. You know, it takes a work of, of God in your life. But it said he was disheartened. Scripture says because he had many possessions. I like to think of it this way. He was disheartened and went away sorrowful because many possessions had him. And he was tied to them. And that's why Jesus said, you, you, you lack this thing. You, you need to get rid of it. It's, it's dragging you down. And that was truth spoken in love. Disciples were nearby. They were listening. And Jesus turns to them. And the disciples, by the way, they're pretty confused now because they thought, keep the law, keep the commandments, everything's good in, in this guy's life. Obviously, God is blessing him. He's got a lot of wealth. So th this guy's good. This is the guy we want on the team, Jesus. You need to sign him up, and you drove him off that way. And you told him that his riches were the problem. We thought that was the answer. And Jesus looks at the guys. This is verse 23. Looked at his disciples and said, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. They're amazed at this. They are amazed at this. And then Jesus doubles down, and he tells them the truth in love. He said, guys, it's going to be easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than it will be to get a rich man into heaven. 
Now, I remind you, you can get a camel through the eye of a needle. It just makes the camel awfully cranky <laughs> because you have to use a blender to do it. And, uh, uh, but he said, look, he said, as long as you're tied to your riches, to your wealth, as long as you're buying into the world's point of view that, that financial success means that you are a successful person, as long as you're buying into that kind of, of a lie, uh, you know, heaven's not, not in it for you. And, you know, you, you, you just can't get into heaven hanging on to a bunch of stuff. And uh, so speaking the truth in love, it, it disheartened the young man, it confused the disciples, and it convicted us today. So Jesus, speaking the truth in love, he, he did this with Peter on, on a number of occasions. You remember when, when Peter took Jesus to one side and said, Jesus, I think you're wrong on a point. <laughs> you know, you've never done that. And he said, Jesus, uh, I think you're wrong. The Messiah is not going to suffer. The Messiah is not going to be crucified. Don't, you know, you need to understand the Messiah is going to be exalted and all this other business. He's not going to be crucified, Jesus. You remember what Jesus said. He spoke the truth and love to Peter. He said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. That couldn't have been a happy moment for Peter. But it was a necessary moment for Peter. It was absolutely needed. You know, when all the disciples were saying, you know, I'll never desert you, never desert you. Peter stood up and he said, because Jesus said, one of you is going to abandon me. And, And Peter says, Jesus, no matter what, I'll stick with you unto death. I'm here for you. I got your back. And Jesus said to him, Peter, the truth is, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. I don't think Jesus said that to, you know, knock Peter down off of his boasting, oh, I won't. I think Jesus told him that so that when it happened, Peter would know. Jesus already has this factored in to my relationship with him. And though as he wept bitterly, he just remembered Jesus said it. So that when Jesus said to the ladies, he said, look, you go tell the disciples I'm risen. You you go tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter. You remember that? Go tell the disciples I'm Peter. You go tell him that. And when Peter hears that, the Lord is risen. Wait a minute. That's what he said he would do. That, that was the promise. And he wants me to know. It was sort of like an, an, another truth <laughs> spoken in a great love, reclaiming Peter from his, his, his downtrodden depression or whatever. You know, Jesus spoke uh, truth with a great deal of love. Now, sometimes that love meant understanding where people were in their Journey uh, In the upper room just before he was arrested and then tried and crucified, in John chapter 16, verse 12, um, Jesus said something like this. He said, I have many other things to say to you. See, it, that, that's that section of John's gospel. It's the 14, 15, 16, and 17, where Jesus essentially brings them into a, a kind of appreciation for the Trinity, where Jesus talks about, my father and my father and I and, and we're one and the glory of the father is my glory and, and that we'll send the comforter the Holy Spirit and here's his ministry and so Jesus talks about the father and son and the Holy Spirit and he's laying all that out and, and giving them you know just some of the most intimate intense teaching 
of his ministry. It's right before the crucifixion. But in chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says, there are many things I want to tell you, but I can't because you couldn't take it right now. So Jesus, in that, with that love, he understood where we are on the journey. And eventually he told them these things. Luke's gospel in, in, the, in the last chapter tells us that he opened up the word of God and he showed the disciples uh, from the scriptures how it was necessary for the Messiah to be crucified and to rise again. So it, Jesus got around to that. But at that moment he said, you, you know, you, you can't take it right now. And that's what love does as well when we speak the truth. We, we understand where people are um, and, and uh, what, what the need of the moment is. So... Uh, Jesus speaking the truth in love with his disciples. Well, back to the um, book of Ephesians, chapter 4. So Paul says, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth of the gospel, speaking the truth of who Jesus is, speaking the truth of that marvelous work of God's grace, speaking the truth and speaking that truth in love, you know, not using the Bible to browbeat people, not using a Bible to just so hit your kids on the head that they won't have no, n- nothing to do with it anymore. Not using the scriptures as a way to wag your finger in their faces so they'd always feel bad and they think the only point of the, of the Bible is to make people feel guilty all the time. But rather speaking the truth of God's word in love so that the scripture needful for the moment is applied to their lives and they see the glorious love of God in the way that you've shared in love. So speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into him who is the head. We're to grow up into Christ from whom the whole body joined, held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's been the aiming point all along that we're one in Christ. And we encourage each other by speaking the truth in love. I suppose it's significant that Paul did not say, speaking your opinion. He didn't say, speaking, you know, what makes you look good. He didn't say, arguing. He just said, sharing and speaking the truth, and love. And so this, this, this concept, speaking the truth in love, it, it, it's actually a very, very rich concept because you know, the, the truth without love is very cold. The truth without love can be hurtful and sharp and painful. The truth without love can just be a weapon that you're wielding in an argument. The truth without love can actually dishonor God because God is love. And love without the truth just turns into a sappy, wishy-washy emotion. You know, love without the truth of Christ is just an emotional uh, sensitivity and experience and we exalt it and has no, no foundation in fact. But speaking, living, sharing, doing the truth in love, the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. Now, that's a different matter. That's what makes life whole and meaningful. So on, on the very 
uh, focus level, you know, at, 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 at the very basic meaning, this scripture is saying here in our church we need to be speaking the truth in love with one another. And, and, and that's just as simple as we need to be sharing the scriptures with each other and teaching the scriptures, sharing the gospel, every now and then just reminding each other of what needs to be done. A little while ago, I was a little bit discouraged, and Debbie came up to me, and she said, oh, I've got to set this up for you first. <laughs> okay. Last week was vacation Bible school. And the whole point of Vacation Bible School is it was something like life is wild, God is good. And the kids went around saying all kinds of things, you know, when snack time is late, God is good. You know, well, it's their level, okay. And, uh, uh, you know, when I am sad, God is good. When I am happy, God is good. You know, doing all these God is good things. You got that? So Debbie comes up to me and she says, when I am discouraged... When I'm discouraged, well, that's what you said. That's not what I said. <laughs> when God is good, I said, I feel like packing it in. <laughs> or when, when you are discouraged, I said, I want to pack it in. She says, I, no, no, say God is good. I'm not going to say it. Say God is good. <laughs> now, I tell you this story so that She'll leave me alone this afternoon. <laughs> but when you are discouraged, God is good. That, that's truth. Amen. Spoken in love. And I hate it. <laughs> but I love it. Because that's what we need. And that's the kind of thing we need to do for one another here in the body of Christ, in our church, together. And just sort of, you know, expanding the principle, the basic principle. I, I just invite you this... This next week, at the end of the day, just look back on all your conversations, you know, the, the relationships you've had with people that day, and just ask yourself, in what way did the truth of, of Christ enter into my conversation? How did the love of God in Christ Jesus enter into my conversations? How did my interaction with other people proclaim the love of God and the truth of God in, in the context of the love of God? Um, some days you're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to join me in pouting, but... Um, but just do that at the end of every day. How did my conversation today speak and live the truth in the love of God? Let's bow together in prayer. And Father in heaven, we are thankful that knowing our sin and knowing our weakness, knowing our selfishness and our self-will, yet you sent Christ to die for us. We're thankful for that truth, and we're thankful for the love that brought it to us, your love that sent Christ, and, Father, the love of so many throughout the ages who have shared Christ and witnessed to Christ and, and, and written of Christ and preached Christ for thousands of years until that word reached us in love. And that truth spoken to us in love changed our lives. Father, give us the courage of faith. Give us the reliance upon the Holy Spirit that we, too, would walk in the truth, speak the truth always in the love of Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.